Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32 called An Invitation to Intercession. going to be in Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament, chapter 32, looking at verses 7 through 14. The title is An Invitation to Intercession. If some of those words are new to you, intercession just is another word for prayer, specifically to pray for others, for their salvation, for their benefit in whatever they may need. So that's the invitation tonight. There's a lot that we're going to learn from Moses's attitude in this text, his uh, humble attitude. Also, the trajectory of his prayer has a lot to say to us tonight. So be paying attention uh, for those things, as well as things we're going to learn about God. And one thing I will say before we read the text, we're going to see one of these perplexing ideas in the Bible, which is that the Lord changed his mind. And so uh, a lot has been written on this, and some of you have heard some of these concepts. One of them has been captured in two words called open theism. Open theism is the idea that the future is open to God and that he doesn't necessarily know everything that's going to happen. Open theists would say something like this, God has a pretty good idea, but they would deny a fundamental uh, characteristic of God, which is God's omniscience. That is that God knows everything. So when we run into to ideas like this in the Bible, we have to kind of wrestle with it and see, you know, how are we to understand what's going on here? And that will be in the text tonight. So why don't you do this? If you're able to stand with us, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Exodus 32, we'll be reading beginning in verse 7, and it reads this way. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Exodus 32, 7 Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly, Exodus 32, 8, turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation, 11. Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn now from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit inherit it forever. And so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Father, for your living word. As we tackle it tonight, as we jump in, we want to have ears to hear what you would say to us. We want to learn what it means to be more like a Moses and indeed more like a Jesus, more like Christ. 
The ultimate mediator, the ultimate intercessor is Christ. Thank you for this word to us. Thank you for your mercy, which is better than life itself. And just tune our hearts to what you would say to us tonight. May you be pleased with both the teaching and the receiving and hearing and acting upon the word of God. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. So you can see that the Lord speaking to Moses is the covenant name of God in verse 7. Those caps, that is Yahweh, spoke to Moses and urgently told him, go down at once, go down quickly for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. That's the opening verse, verse 7. So an urgent plea for God, from God, to send Moses down to the people. I will just say to you, for those of you putting your thinking caps on tonight, that there would be no reason for Moses to go down and do anything if God intended to destroy the people. Amen? So one thing that you can pick up right from the get-go is if God truly wanted to destroy everybody and start over with Moses, there's no need for some urgent, uh, you know, uh, command, Moses, get down there and do something. Now, we, Mos- we know Moses is going to go down, and he is going to confront his brother. He is going to confront the people. He is going to deal with the calf and the whole scene. And there is going to be a severe discipline from the Lord. The Lord does discipline his people, amen? He disciplines the one in whom he delights, the one that he loves. Discipline's not fun, but the writer of Hebrews says it does yield a positive result in our lives if we are trained by it. And so here is the, the urgent sense. Go down. Notice uh, God says, your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Most pastors, preachers cannot uh, refuse to see the humor in this. You know, we often will put this in the parental realm If you're married, we might say something like this, your son, your daughter, saying it to your spouse, is misbehaving. That child of yours is not obeying, etc., right? And while that is true, and it's kind of funny, I'm not sure that that's really what the Lord is doing here, but the Lord is, in some respects, disassociating himself from the people, because the people have disassociated themselves from him. Amen? They have made a God in the form of a golden calf, and they have sacrificed it to, and worshipped it, and they have proclaimed, this is your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And it's almost as if God is saying, okay, if that's the way you want it, if that's your God, then I guess I'm no longer your God. Now, all the way through the book of Exodus, if you've been with us, when we started in 1984, started teaching verse by verse the book of Exodus, you'll know that God on many occasions said that they are my people. Let my people go. Exodus 4.22, God says, Israel is my firstborn. I've shared with you the covenant language here that they entered into really what is considered a marriage at Mount Sinai. No doubt that the people are God's people. They've, you know, been chosen by God all the way back to the days of Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, who's renamed into Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham, and we know that that covenant was unconditional. Uh, Abraham fell asleep when God passed through the animal parts. 
and made his proclamation and his promises, reiterating them to Isaac, uh, the, the miracle child from um, Abraham and Sarah, and then ultimately to Jacob, who becomes Israel. And so what is God saying here? Well, probably a couple things, just focusing on the two words, your people. Probably, hey, they're trying to separate themselves from me, but perhaps to uh, impress upon Moses his link to them. After all, Moses is the one who led them out of the land of Egypt. He has become their leader. He has become their intercessor. He is up on the mountain receiving the laws. He has acted as a go-between in terms of the, the covenant and all of that. So I think that there's a couple things working here. And one on the human side is that Moses does associate with the people. After all, his brother is at the bottom of the mountain and he's the one who's constructed that golden calf, you remember. And Moses has other family members down there as well. So even though uh, God has said, your people, uh, God has not given up on them. This is not, if you look at the, uh, the last part of the verse, He says they've corrupted themselves. They are not beyond God's grace. Um, You know that in Genesis 6, the world had become so corrupt that God brought a flood and he saved Noah and his family. But here, the people have corrupted themselves, but it's by virtue of an action. It's by virtue of their idolatry. They're not beyond help. They're not beyond hope, but they have fallen hard. They've fallen into sin. There's no other way to say it. And there are many times in our lives when we fall into sin as well. And we're so grateful that God doesn't give up on us. Maybe there's been some seasons in your life where you would say, I went back and I did some things that I shouldn't have done, said some things I shouldn't have said, and you felt somewhat corrupted. Now, you're clean before God because of the blood of Christ, but you felt you know, like you had prostituted yourself is one way to say it. And so um, there's a couple things going on. I don't think that God is shifting blame to Moses as we might do as parents when I use some of the humor there. But I think he is driving Moses back as, as the mediator. God said in Exodus 6, 7, and 8, then I will take you for my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, Exodus 6, 7, and 8. Now, the Lord is true to his promises. We often fail, but the Lord does not. Ezekiel 28, some people think, speaking of Lucifer, the devil himself, verse 17 says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. That's Ezekiel 28, 17. So the Lord begins to describe what has happened to the people. Notice what he says, verse eight. They have turned, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. They've worshiped it, sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, we learned from a couple other uh, texts that Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And from the book of Exodus, we have learned that he's gone up and down several different times to receive things from the Lord and communicate them to the people as that mediator. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can watch Pastor Michael's teachings in their entirety. 19 chapters later! You're off the hook! We know sometimes you hear Pastor Michael mention slides, and we have made sure you have access to all the videos from his Sunday teachings. The modern application could be the power of the sword with, for example, a police officer. Watching the videos can also be a good way to see how animated Pastor Michael can be on stage. Even if you have to gulp after you've prayed it. And Lord, one more thing, not my will. You can watch the video from today's teaching when you visit walkintruth.com. We also live stream one of our Sunday morning services. Pastor Michael prefers you attend your church Sunday mornings or visit our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, as fellowship is important. But you are invited to watch the 1030 a.m. Pacific Time service anytime. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? To watch Pastor Michael's teachings and to follow our YouTube channel for live streams, you can find the links and information on walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. They're not beyond help. They're not beyond hope, but they have fallen hard. They've fallen into sin. There's no other way to say it. And there are many times in our lives when we fall into sin as well. And we're so grateful that God doesn't give up on us. Maybe there's been some seasons in your life where you would say, I went back and I did some things that I shouldn't have done, said some things I shouldn't have said, and you felt somewhat corrupted. Now, you're clean before God because of the blood of Christ, but you felt you know, like you had prostituted yourself is one way to say it. And so um, there's a couple things going on. I don't think that God is shifting blame to Moses, as we might do as parents when I use some of the humor there. But I think he is driving Moses back as, as the mediator. God said in Exodus 6, 7, and 8, then I will take you for my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord, Exodus 6, 7, and 8. Now, the Lord is true to his promises. We often fail, but the Lord does not. Ezekiel 28, some people think, speaking of Lucifer, the devil himself, verse 17 says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. That's Ezekiel 28, 17. So the Lord begins to describe what has happened to the people. Notice what he says, verse eight. They have turned, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. They've worshiped it, sacrificed to it, and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, we learned from a couple other uh, texts that Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And from the book of Exodus, we have learned that he's gone up and down several different times to receive things from the Lord and communicate them to the people as that mediator. And so now Moses is being told what's been going on at the base of the mountain. He doesn't know. 
Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro upon the earth that he might strongly support those hearts who belong to him. But Moses doesn't know what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain. God knows. God sees everything that's going on. Moses has been up in the splendor of the glory of God. Can you imagine being Moses? God says, hey, there's an urgent matter I need you to attend to. What is it, Lord? (laughs) This glory is wonderful. I've had such a great time being up here. What is it? Well, here's what's happened. Your people have turned aside. They've made a golden calf. They've worshiped it, sacrificed it, and proclaimed it as their God. Now, if you're Moses up on the mountaintop, you have to be thinking, what? They did what? And God doesn't say that Aaron's in the middle of the whole thing, right? But if Moses would have been told that, he may, he may have lost it completely. Your bro fashioned this golden calf. The Israelites, says one writer, uh, couldn't believe how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain. And God couldn't believe how quickly the Israelites had fallen into sin. That's just using human speech. And so the Lord does not bring up Aaron's role in the whole debacle, but the people have broken the first and second commandments. They've made an idol. They've worshiped it. They've put other God, another God before the God of the Bible or alongside him. And they have embraced false gods that they saw embarrassed by the true God. Amen? In fact, Exodus 12, 12 tells us that the plagues were specifically directed against the gods, small g, of Egypt. And yet, the people have made one of those gods and worshipped it. Why would they do that? They saw them embarrassed and humbled at least 10 different times. What does it take for us to finally realize that the the gods of this world, small g, are impotent to do anything for us? What's it going to take for us finally to realize that they can't produce what they promise? The golden calves of this world that people bow down to, they're not going to produce what they promise. As one writer puts it, but old habits and old ways of thinking die hard. And sometimes we are tempted to go back to our Egypt. Egypt becomes a picture of the world, of the old life, the life that we're in slavery in, but still we somehow become enamored by. And our sin jeopardizes our blessings from God, all that's good in our lives. We know it, but somehow we still find ourselves pounding away at our golden calf sometimes. And so the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, nine. Behold, they are an obstinate people. Every other modern version says, They are a stiff-necked people. Now, I have a stiff neck often. Anybody else? Now, my kids like to make fun of me because sometimes they call me and I move my whole body to respond. Yes. (laughs) What can I do for you? (laughs) And uh, it's not fun to have a stiff neck, but that's not what this is really about. This is not that you have some aches and pains and your neck's a little stiff. This is actually the idea of a beast of burden in the original language that its master is trying to get it to put on the yoke and move in a certain direction, and it refuses. You've seen the pictures of the donkey that you know just kind of sits uh, down and won't move, and they're trying to drag it along. That's kind of the idea here. To be obstinate is to be difficult, to be oppositional, to make 
everything hard and not to listen to your master. And that's exactly how Israel kind of became coined throughout the Old Testament. They are a obstinate, stiff-necked people. Now, I hope that none of you have that reputation. And don't look at anybody if you think they might <laughs> in the room. But to be obstinate is not a good thing. This is a paragraph from Riken's commentary. It's hard to hear, but I think it's worthwhile. This is a dangerous position for anyone to be in that is stiff-necked. Obstinate, stiff-necked people always think they're right and never admit they're wrong. They refuse to listen to good spiritual counsel. They say, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I am. And then they expect everyone else to deal with it. They ask for advice, but they don't follow it. They go ahead and do what they were planning to do anyway. And when they get in trouble, they're unwilling to be corrected. Yes, they say, but my situation is different. And then they offer some kind of excuse. When they go through suffering, they complain about it, but they never seem to learn from it. They never change. They never grow. And the saddest thing of all is that they don't even know it. Since they, ne they never bow in true submission to God, they don't even realize how stiff-necked they are. Now, the opposite of stiff-necked uh, people or obstinate people is to be soft, teachable, and pliable. Now, if your desire is to grow in your faith, if your desire is to mature and move forward in your life, don't be obstinate. Amen? Don't be stiff-necked. Be soft and pliable, especially to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't, you know, just discount spiritual counsel or people who have gone before you with years or spiritual wisdom. Don't just dismiss what they have to say. They have a lot to say that can be of great value if we're willing to listen. If only my people would listen. How many times did God say that of Israel? If only my people would listen to me. And, and if you open up your ears, you can save yourself a lot of sorrow. And so God says to Moses, now let me alone, now then let me alone, verse 10, that, I, that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. The Hebrew word kala is an absolute destruction. And I will make of you a great nation. God essentially says, get out of my way, leave me alone. Let my anger, my full wrath burn against them. I'm going to destroy them and start over with you. Now, if you're Moses up on the mountain, you might contemplate just for a couple of seconds, right? Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Everybody would call, be called the Mosesites or something like that. Kind of a cool prospect. I'd be the new Abraham, the new patriarch, the new beginning. <laughs> Pretty wonderful. And all those people who are pretty much a pain down at the bottom of the mountain, well, poof, they'd be gone. It's almost like the, the famous movie Home Alone. You know, I'm sick of my family. I wish they were gone and whoop, <laughs> they forget you. <laughs> Off they go. And so Moses all of a sudden is told by God, leave me alone, I'm gonna destroy them. Question, does God need Moses' permission to destroy his people? Answer, no. Do you see how we're getting little hints in the text that what God is actually doing is not 
uh, desiring to destroy his people, but inviting Moses to intercede for his people. And in Moses, we do have a picture of the Messiah, which we'll get to at the end of the message. But right here, God says, leave me alone, which I think is kind of a veiled invitation for Moses to pray. I'll start over with you. You've been listening to An Invitation to Intercession, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32, 7 through 14. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in other books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? Same if you're listening on podcast. Please click that share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then hopefully they'll be a blessing for someone else you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a monthly Walk in Truth partner of at least $10 a month, or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32, 7-14, called An Invitation to Intercession. I'm Mike Massaro, Happy New Year, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.